Welcome everyone to the Gen X Photography Podcast. This is episode 53 and I'm your host Mario Piper and I thank you for joining with me today. Now today's episode is really special. Uh, you remember a couple of, couple of months ago I made a call out for people to call in with their favorite cheap cameras, cheap lenses, and favorite third-party lenses. And I got a number of call-ins as well as write-ins. So I'll be reading those and playing those uh, in today's episode. Now, um, the reason why I wanted to do this is I have a particular love for especially third-party lenses. Um, and I love cheap things. It's not that I only like cheap things. You know, I like nice things as well. I think a lot of us have a wide spectrum of things that we like. But it's really cool when you have something that's cheap, that didn't cost you very much, that performs just as good as something that costs you quite a bit. And it's almost uh, like a little hidden gem when you find something like that. And that's what happened with me and started me down a path of celebrating cheap things and third-party things, third-party lenses in particular. So that's why I made a call out for people to call in with their favorites. And uh, so we'll be playing each of those, and uh, I'll be reading a couple of them, but playing them, reading them, and then talking about them uh, after each one. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, and we'll start with a previous guest of ours, Billy Sanford of the Music and Photography Podcast. So Billy, take it away. Hello, Gen X Photography Podcast gang. Uh, Billy Sanford here weighing in on my favorite budget camera question, and I'm probably cheating a little bit um, just because I never acquired a huge collection and didn't try a whole bunch of different cameras. So the one I'm going to mention, you know, would probably not be considered budget for some folks or compared to some of the things um, that that are out there, but it is... Uh, sort of an iconic beginner's camera, and that is the Pentax K1000, which I was fortunate enough to win off of the off of an episode of the Negative Positives podcast, and have really enjoyed using it. It it is, I think, a great uh, beginner camera, and it is much more budget friendly than some of the more sophisticated cameras. But it's you know just. Uh, kind of bare bones, uh, mechanical camera. Um, I'm fortunate in that the meter in mine works, but if it didn't, you, you could still use the camera without any batteries. Um, just uh, basically shutter speed and aperture to worry about, but um, a real workhorse. I'm sure many, many uh, people kind of started their photographic journey using it and i guess just you can still find them out there somewhere in the one to two hundred dollar range so again maybe not uh fully in the spirit of the budget camera question but in terms of uh sort of uh cameras that people kind of get us their first camera and learn photography on. Uh, certainly had my best uh, experience with that camera. Enjoy the show and look forward to hearing uh, what other people's thoughts are. Well, thank you, Billy, for that excellent call-in. And yes, I 
fully agree. The Pentax K1000 is iconic and simple and just a, a joy to use. Um, certainly uh, highly adaptable. You can use all kinds of uh, third-party lenses with the K-mount design. And so, yeah, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful instrument. Um, and so I fully agree with your assessment. Thank you so much, Billy, for that uh, excellent call-in. Now we want to move on to another uh, uh, response to my question, and this is from Christopher M. Paulin. Now he didn't send a, a voice recording, but he did say what his favorite budget camera is, and uh, that was on the the Gen X Photography Podcast Facebook uh, group page. And so his uh, thought about his favorite um, camera, his favorite budget camera is the Canon SureShot Supreme. Now this is an interesting camera. I'm not too much of um, a, a point and shoot user. I, I mainly focus on SLRs, but there's no denying that a, a, a uh, compact camera that has a fixed uh, focal length with a, a, a really wide aperture is just mwah, so good. Uh, so that's what the Canon SureShot Supreme is. It's a from the 80s. It's a nice uh, plastic fantastic, as we like to say, but it's got a 35 millimeter lens, an f 2.8, and you can't beat that. That is just wonderful. Uh, it's a, a nice wide angle, but not too wide, just nice normal wide and a bright f 2.8 lens. And uh, of course, autofocusing and all that. It's just a, a it looks like a really nice camera. I've never shot one myself, but I think I would probably have to agree that that would be a wonderful camera to carry around and capture everyday moments or even uh, artistic moments with such a good lens. So thank you, Christopher, for uh, uh, responding to that. Well, next up, I want to read a review that Ryan Servizi sent in uh, as a response to the question. And uh, so let's listen to what he says. He says, I hope I'm not too late, but I saw the Facebook post and wanted to chime in. I'd like to nominate the Pentax ZXM as my favorite budget camera. And I'm going to stop there. You notice there's almost a Pentax thing going on, isn't there? <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I love Pentax. So anyways, let's go on with his uh, review. And it says, I consider this camera to be the photographic equivalent of a scratch-off lottery ticket. They're cheap, usually under $20, and you never know when they'll suffer spontaneous mechanical failure. The entire ZX lineup was plagued by a plastic gear on the drive motor, which tends to strip when the lubricant dries up. The ZXM, which was, which was the most basic of the ZX series cameras, had manual focus. I really love that this camera has a viewfinder readout that is similar to modern DSLRs and it takes nearly all came out lenses. So switching cameras is seamless. It's also very light and makes a great walk around camera when paired with the 35 millimeter F2 lens. And then he says the controls and viewfinder are also nearly identical to the 645N and the 645N2, but I don't own either of those yet. So the Pentax ZXM. Now I'm not real familiar with uh, anything um, from the modern era. I, I, I do shoot, shoot a lot of classic SLRs. So uh, 
again, I'm not really familiar with the ZXM, but from what I read, it seems to be that it's, it, well, it's been called the spiritual successor. And this is Mario, by the way, talking, <laughs> not reading Ryan's uh, excellent uh, review of this camera. So Ryan, thank you, by the way, for sending that in. But from what I've read, the the ZXM is almost like, or it's it's been said to be the spiritual successor to the K1000. And looking at the controls, you know, it has just a few more controls than the K1000. It has a, a shutter uh, speed dial, a proper shutter speed dial. Uh, it says it has manual focus, not autofocus, um, and it has exposure compensation. But as Ryan said, with a more modern uh, viewfinder, and of course, accepting all Pentax K-mount lenses. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, and it being a light camera, like he said, it's a, a nice, great walk-around camera being so light. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for uh, sending in that, that review. Uh, that'd be a, a pretty awesome camera to try. So, all right. Well, let's move on to our next um, uh, review, and that is from Sherry Christensen. Hello, Gen X Photography Podcast. It's Sherry Christensen here. And I thought I would call in today uh, with the cheap film camera that I love. Now, there's all sorts of them, and one would tend to think it would be the Spotmatic, since I have a ton of them, but it's not. But it is a Pentax. Surprise! It is one that I used for the Frugal Film Project in 2019. It is the Pentax MV. Not the MV1, just the plain MV. Now, this camera isn't a super popular one. Uh, it has got limitations. It is aperture priority only. So it gives you these little um, LED lights in the viewfinder that tells you if red, don't shoot it. Yellow, it might turn out. And green, good to go. So just twist your aperture ring and look at those little lights and go from there. You can override the yellow lights and still get a image if that's what you choose to do. I can't remember actually if you can shoot when they're red. I think you can, but you won't get nothing good. <laughs> um, because I did play around with it, because it being that I used it for the Frugal Film Project for that year, that was the 12 rolls of film, and I chose Kodak Gold 200, because that was what I could get cheapest at the time. And I shoot, you normally shoot um, gold, 200 gold at 100, and you can do that with the MV. Um, it is kind of it's just almost a point and shoot, but you have a little more control than that since you do pick your film speed and your aperture. Not your shutter speed, you have to give that up. But it's good for on the fly, and when I shot it for that full year, I put it through its paces. I went out in the snow. I went out when it was cold. I went out through the dead blah, brown season. 
Now that's the season where winter has left and nothing is green yet. Usually lasts a good six weeks here and believe me, nothing is pretty. Uh, it succeeded through that. Uh, it did well through summer, um, rainy days, uh, through the fall. It did well. I, I even took it um, to West Edmonton Mall and shot inside the mall there. And it did okay there too. So it was a good all-round camera. It's small. It's lightweight. It fits in my purse well. All in all, I was pretty darn impressed. I didn't even have to change the batteries. I put fresh batteries in in January, and in December I took them out, and I think I put them in another camera. Now, it just it had the plain common LR44 batteries, so it wasn't a big deal if I did have to change them, but it did shoot quite a bit through the year and was used pretty, pretty faithfully and did well so it was a good camera if you pick one up cheap don't hesitate um i paid a whopping 99 cents for mine now i know that you will not get one for 99 cents now uh they're probably more up closer to 80 80 dollars now but still, that's a fairly frugal camera, especially with the increase in in camera prices. So, yeah, don't be afraid to give one a try. If you have super large hands, you may not like them. I have really small hands, so it fits in my hand well. But if you have giant, giant hands, it might be a little more cramped for your fingers. But, yeah. That's my favorite film camera, and don't forget to keep those analog vibes alive. Bye! Well, thank you so much, Sherry, for providing that call-in. Man, we're getting a lot of Pentax uh, call-ins, aren't we? Uh, this is great. So, Sherry, I want to, again, just say thank you for that, uh, the call-in about the MV, and uh, I was... Pretty sure you were going to talk about the Spotmatic because, like you said, you have so many of them. Um, but definitely the MV is a, a nice successor to the Spotmatics. Um, really, really awesome camera it looks like. I've never used one myself, but it looks like a, a pretty nice camera if you love the, the Pentax feeling um, but want something more automated. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much, Sherry, for, for calling in. Well, let's move on to our next... Uh, call in and this is from molly kate or eclecticrome and you'll be hearing her relatively soon um, she's going to be a future guest on the on the podcast so we'll look forward to getting more into a discussion with her later on but for right now let's listen to her um her review of her uh, favorite cheap camera lens combination Hey Mario, this is Molly, aka Eclecticrome, calling in from Cardiff, Wales. Hope you're doing well. So, favorite cheap cameras or cheap lenses or third-party lenses? Depending on how cheap is cheap, I'm going to have to say for cameras, it would be uh, the Canon EOS or SureShot series. Usually you can find EOS cameras pretty cheap, like I've got a Canon 
Rebel K2 that I actually got for free from my mum. But you can find those pretty cheap on eBay, at least where I am in the UK. Uh, The SureShot U90 as well as the Sleek are two of my favorite point and shoots. They are amazing. Um, And then with the Canon EOS series, I love the 50 millimeter f1.8 lens which is way cheaper than the f1.4 lens uh, so that can be had for a pretty good deal depending on what you would call cheap (laughs) um okay so then lenses uh favorite cheap lenses i'm gonna have to say the jupiter series so the jupiter 12 and the jupiter 8 which um I have in LTM or Leica thread mount for my Canon L3, and they also fit the Canon 7, uh, both of which you can find for around £100 here in the UK. Uh, so, And they're amazing cameras, so that is a pretty good deal for an awesome mechanical uh, camera. Uh, the Jupiter 12 is like a 35mm uh, focal length, and the Jupiter 8 is 50 millimeters, I think. Um, and yeah, you can find the Jupiter eight for usually less than like 50 pounds and Jupiter 12 is a little bit more, a little bit more rare. Um, that's, but you can find that for around a hundred pounds. And honestly, it's my favorite lens ever that I've ever bought. It is awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's still a pretty good deal. Oh, also Helios lenses, especially the 44-2, one of my favorites. Uh, so yeah. So those are some of my, I could go on and on, but (laughs) let's just leave it there. So some of my favorite cheap cameras and lenses. Um, Yeah. All righty. I will talk to you uh, soon or see you around social media (laughs) and looking forward to listening to your next podcast. Well, thank you, Molly, for sending in that wonderful uh, call in for all those cameras and lenses. And, uh, Wow, that's that was quite an array uh, from rangefinders and SLRs to uh, uh, point and shoots, and that's that's pretty cool, pretty cool. <laughs> now that uh, that Canon Sleek, um, that looks like a pretty uh, interesting camera. I I must admit, although I don't really shoot much with point and shoots, um, I do have a soft spot for fixed lens cameras or fixed fixed focal length cameras. Um, primarily because as you all know I came from digital and my last digital camera was my Fujifilm X100 which had a fixed focal length uh, 35 millimeter equivalent lens and I loved that camera um, I love the simplicity of it and so having a, a you know a film camera a point and shoot camera with a fixed focal length that's that's pretty pretty awesome and that uh, the the sure shot I'm sorry the Canon uh, uh, sleek uh, looks like a, a really nice camera in that it's a uh, it's got uh, you know a nice wide lens nice uh, you know good wide aperture um, and just easy to carry around plus that 90s styling it's just <laughs> so good uh, never shot with one um, as far as the Jupiter uh, lenses I've heard so much about those lenses but I don't have any experience with them so I'll have to go, uh, you know, take your word for it, Molly. Um, but you know, the, the the third party lenses, they are they are great, and I'll be talking about my favorite coming up soon as well. But as far as that Helios lens, um, 
you know, Mark Wellsford sent me a, a Helios 44-2 lens, and I just love that lens. It's it's such a cool, funky lens. Uh, so I, you know, in many ways. So I just have to agree with you, Molly. Um, pretty cool lens. And that last assessment, you could go on and on. That's kind of how I feel. So <laughs> I uh, totally understand. Um, well, thank you again, Molly, for, for calling in. Well, next, we're going to listen to... Uh, Bob St. Cyr and his uh, his uh, review of his favorite budget lens, uh, budget camera. All right. Hello, Mario and the cast and listeners of the Gen X Photography Podcast. Okay, so to answer your questions as succinctly as possible, my favorite budget camera, hmm, that seems like a relative term for me as what I consider a fave budget camera today is subject to change at some point in the future. But for right now, I would say it is a Konica Auto Reflex TC. It's the one I am planning to use for the Frugal Film project. I've used it a bit already, and it appears to be fairly reliable and doesn't require batteries to operate, save for the light meter, which is something I really like. That is to say, cameras that operate fully without battery power. My favorite third-party lens is a different story, and with the main cameras I used to use, it was Tamron that I preferred. But again, that was a while ago now. So, hope that answers those questions. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. This is uh, Bob St. Cyr from Canada. Thank you, uh, Bob St. Cyr. Um, now, Bob St. Cyr is from the Follow the Light uh, podcast, all about analog photography and a uh, wonderful podcast he has. So thank you so much, Bob, for uh, sending that call-in review in. Um, so the Konica Auto Reflex TC. Wow, what a... Seems like a great camera. And I tell you what, I've never uh, used a Konica Auto Reflex TC. Oops, I turned my mic off there. <laughs> I've never used a Konica Auto Reflex TC. But I will tell you a small story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to an estate sale. Um, I was going to look for a saddle for my daughter. She loves riding horses. And uh, long story short, I didn't really find one that was in good condition or the right size or anything like that. But I decided to look around because, you know, estate sales, classic cameras, <laughs> there's always a chance, you know. So... I saw a TLR and that was pretty cool, but I wasn't into medium format at the time and didn't really know anything about TLRs. Uh, so I just kind of passed on. Uh, continued walking around and walked into the house. Uh, there were, you know, lots and lots of people there just wandering around looking and seeing what they could buy. And I saw on, uh, on a coffee table uh, a couple of cameras and one of them caught my eye. It was a, an SLR, classic SLR, and it was a Konica Auto Reflex T2. Now, this came with, I think, a 50 millimeter 1.7 or 1.8 lens or something like that. And uh, so I was looking at it and just, you know, goo, ooh, 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 and ah, ah over it and all that. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, uh, you know, was checking it over, opened up the back and whoops, <laughs> there's a roll of film, on, film in there. So I closed it right up and um, decided that I was going to buy it. It was like, $20 or something. I can't remember. It wasn't very much. So I brought it home and I shot the rest of the roll. It was a Agfa 
Portra XPS 160 color negative film. Um, I think I shot it at ISO 100 and uh, then developed it. And I tell you what, the pictures were wonderful. I love that film. It doesn't, you know, Agfa doesn't make it anymore. I'm not sure if Agfa even makes uh, film anymore. Anymore. Uh, I'm sure someone will let me know. <laughs> but um, anyways, beautiful, beautiful uh, images. Not because of my photography, but just the, you know, the, the colors. Uh, but lo and behold, that camera died after I shot that roll of, of film. Um, and it wasn't a battery issue. It was something mechanical. It just doesn't work anymore. So <laughs> it was a one-shot camera. Basically, I bought a roll of film, and it came with a free camera and lens. <laughs> so anyways, that's my story with the Konica Auto Reflex T2. But yeah, Bob, the Auto Reflex TC looks like a beautiful camera. Um, classic styling, but getting more into the modern era. Still with the, the full manual control, though, and that's, you know, you can't beat that. I just, I love cameras with full manual control, and uh, Konica made some really, really nice stuff. Um, as far as the Tamron lenses, you know, I've never used a Tamron lens before, but I, I, have, I have a feeling that uh, at least, especially back in the, in the day, in the 60s, 70s, whenever Tamron came around, um, that their lenses were spectacular at a very affordable price uh, for those who didn't who wanted to use the proper camera but didn't want to pay for the expensive glass that came with that camera. So yeah, Tamron, among many others, uh, was one of those companies that you know made uh, lenses for all kinds of of um, uh, you know third party lenses for all kinds of cameras. So I. I, I wholeheartedly support that that uh, that support for Tamron lenses. All right, well let's move on into our next uh, uh, review, and this will be from Jim Graves. Hi Mario, Jim Graves here. When it comes to having a favorite budget camera, mine's definitely the Pentax SP500, which I lovingly call my bargain bucket spotmatic. The Pentax SP500 and the SP1000 that came after it are the bottom of the pile as far as the Spotmatic range goes. And as such, they're still dirt cheap on the, uh, on the popular used market websites. I picked both of mine up in 2017 with a Helios 44M4 lens on each one for not a lot of cash. I bought the SP1000 first and it turned out to be a little too worse for wear. The meter didn't work. It needed work doing to make it work properly because it was just too sloppy. So I decided to put it to one side until I learned how to make it work properly. I knew I could do better and went hunting until I found my SP500 with an almost mint Helios 44M4 lens for the same price I paid for my SP1000. The light meter works. It had a modern battery with a washer on it to replace the mercury battery the camera was originally designed to use. The film advance was nice and smooth and no sloppiness and the light seals were good too. It was around this time that I could buy Agfa Photo Vista 200 from a well-known discount store here in the UK for £1 a roll and I got stuck into learning the craft. The Pentax SP500 is a great camera to learn photography with. It's uncluttered on the front and has all the controls you need on the top plate. Nothing more. No self-timer, 
no hot shoe. I soon found the correct shoe adapter that fits on the viewfinder and the camera has both an F and an X socket on the front for connecting your flash to. I spent the better part of 2017 using my SP500 and Helios 44 M4 lens almost exclusively until gas saw me by a Tamron Adaptol 2 28mm 2.5 wide angle lens and I haven't looked back. I used it for the Frugal Film Project 2022 with a Meyer Optic Gurlitz 30mm f3.5 Lidith and I swear it's one of the best camera and lens combinations I have in my collection. It's certainly a candidate for the best 20 quid I've ever spent. Do I have better, more advanced cameras? Yeah, several. But the simplicity of the Pentax SP500 will forever have me in its thrall. It's 50 years old now, and I promised myself that I would send it for a service once my commitment to the Frugal Film Project was over for the year. It hasn't let me down in my six years of ownership, and has earned having some money spent on it to ensure it lasts many more years to come. You can check out photographs I've taken with my marvellous little bargain bucket Spotmatic on my blog jimgravesphoto.blogspot.com and you can look for Jim Graves on all the popular social media thingies Facebook, Twitter, Mastodon, blah blah Take care guys, talk to you again soon, bye bye now. Well thank you Jim for uh, sending in that wonderful review of the Pentax Spotmatic uh, SP500. Um, I tell you what, I love my Spotmatics now. I know that uh, you said the Spotmatic SP500 and 1000 are the bottom of the barrels, but you know, I I think that all Spotmatics are just of superlative value. I I love the Spotmatic line. They feel great in the hands, and they are wonderful, wonderful machines. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Minolta. Uh, SRT uh, 100, I picked it up for, I think, $8 or something, and it came with a uh, Paso 135mm lens, Paso branded. can't hardly find anything on, on the internet about it. But that SP, I'm sorry, the, uh, <laughs> the SRT 100 is kind of like the SP 500 or the SP 1000, the bottom of the barrel. But guess what? Superlative cameras. And... Uh, they just, they work well, they are spot on, they're mechanical, reliable, so I, I fully agree with your assessment. And those lenses, wow, the, I believe you said the um, Gurlitz, I, I looked it up and it looks like a triaplan, and then the um, Tamron Adaptol, man, you can't get more third party than <laughs> Tamron, right? And that Helios 44M4. Uh, the Helios, Helios lenses are just fantastic and fun to play around with. Um, I know I have one that was sent to me by Mark Wellsford and it's a pretty cool lens, pretty cool lens. So yeah, um, again, thank you, Jim, for sending in that. And, uh, yes, everyone go check out his blog at Jim Graves uh, photography at blogspot.com. Make sure I got that right. Jim, Grave, Jim Graves photo, not photography. Jim Graves photo.blogspot.com. Jim Graves photo.blogspot.com. And again, Jim, thanks so much for sending that in. All right. Well, the next um, uh, call in we want to have is 
Well, the next two are going to be from my wonderful co-hosts, and we'll start with uh, Suzanne's review. Hi, Mario. This is Suzanne, your co-host. I was calling in for a contribution to your request for inexpensive cameras that we really like. I would like to recommend the Samsung Evoca 170 Neo, which I believe there are many forms of this camera based on the zoom length. The 170 refers to the uh, extended length of zoom. But this is a camera that I picked up probably two to four years ago at my local thrift store. And I don't remember exactly what I paid for it, but I can guarantee you nothing in there as far as point and shoot sold for above say $7.99. So very inexpensive. I ended up finding out that I just was not a big fan of point and shoots. I never used it. Uh, so it just kind of sat in my box of cameras that I'm just going to let hang out. So I pulled it out the other day as I wanted to have another camera that I could just toss in my bag. I have run a few rolls through it and it produces like crazy good photos. You can turn on the flash, you can leave the flash just go auto. That's probably the one thing that bugs me about it is I have to reset the flash every time if I don't wanna use it. Um, but it's a little price to pay for a camera that gives me really, really pretty phenomenal images. The sharpness, the color quality, which I know has somewhat to do with the film I'm using, but still, the glass matters. So anyway, I recommend this camera for an inexpensive one. I looked it up on eBay and it looks like you can get them for, I don't know, 30 to $40 right now. And really good little camera. All right, I hope that maybe someone picks one up. Okay, bye. Well, hey, Suzanne. <laughs> Thanks for uh, sending in that call in. Uh, yeah, that, um, that camera, the Samsung camera looks like a pretty cool camera. I'm looking at it online and, uh, I don't have that much experience with point and shoot, point and shoots. Although I, you know, <laughs> have had my fair share of them since getting back into film because you can find them, you know, really cheaply at, at thrift stores. But yeah, it looks like a really, really good camera. In fact, what I've not what I'm noticing is that it has a Schneider Kreuznach lens, and you hear a lot about the Schneider Kreuznach lenses, so it must be good, right? But yeah, like you said, the glass does matter. Um, and for certain, uh, you know, as time progressed, um, you know, we, we at least hope that uh, things improved little by little and coatings became a little bit better and all that, so... Um, certainly easy to use and if you got good good images from that camera then you know that's the important thing right so <laughs> yeah cool camera and easy to carry around I, that's one thing that um you know i don't ha again i don't have uh many point and shoots <clears throat> and i don't and the ones that i have i don't use very much but i do have a an olympus xa that i carry around in my bike in the summer and uh you know just in case i want to take a picture i don't have to carry around my big slrs you know so there's something to be something to be said for an uh, edc camera an everyday carry camera you know um so yeah thanks so much suzanne for uh for sending that in that looks like a cool camera all right well let's uh move on to our uh last call in and that is from my dear wife julian my uh other co-host and see what she says or what she has to say about cheap camera 
cheap cameras and lenses. Cheap cameras. Here's my submission. Speed graphics. I have a pre-anniversary speed graphic and an anniversary speed graphic. I got them from Marketplace. I paid $80 for two cameras for both of them and stacks of film holders and even some film from 1954 came with it uh, in a big metal box to hold it all as well. Um, that was a really good deal and I did not expect that they would work, but they both do work. One of them, the curtain shutter doesn't work. One of them it does. Both of them have good bellows. Um, the lenses have been working. I've had these cameras for almost a year and I've shot about 200 pictures using the two of them. And right now, both of my lenses are kind of not functioning, which is sad. But the price of getting the lenses repaired or getting another lens to replace them um, still makes them a really good budget camera, especially if you want to try out 4x5, which I really recommend. It's awesome. I know, uh, Mario, you love the small format cameras a lot, but you... You only love them more because you haven't used the large formats that much, I think. So, plug for large format there for you, Mario. Um, but there's another budget camera that I really like. Actually, a couple shelves of them that I have. And that is cameras that I've made myself. Pinhole cameras. They're basically free. They're really fun to use especially if you tend to have some perfectionist traits or just like to have everything perfect and you like to be able to control everything. Making your own pinhole cameras is a great exercise in experimentation and playfulness and just seeing what's going to happen and it, and it might help you um, have new ideas generate some brand new images that are unlike anything you've made with your lensed cameras. It won't cost you anything. I mean, I, I've i made them out of boxes that people have given me from the garbage, boxes from iPhones or different computer parts. Um, I collect tins at thrift stores and I drill holes in to tape pinholes over. I've made a 4x5 pinhole camera out of foam core board. You can make your own pinholes, which is what I normally do, or you can order them online. They're not expensive. It's the super, I think, the ultimate budget camera. And it also, if you make them yourself, you're likely, unless you make a 4x5 one, you're likely going to be shooting paper negatives, which immediately means that you're going to have to learn to develop things. You're going to have to have developer and stop bath and fixer and a red light. And if you've never had the magic of a dark room, you really need to do this. And this is a way to make it really affordable and really magical and really fun and really freeing. And if you have a short attention span, if you are not into details, if it's hard for you to follow directions, if there's a, a long list of them, 
this is perfect for you. This is perfect for me. Also, large format is perfect for me. So, take it for what it is. Give it a whirl. You might love it. Well, thank you, Julie, for uh, uh, sending in that uh, wonderful uh, call-in about your favorite uh, format, the 4x5 or large format. I know you're wanting to do 8x10 and, and larger, <laughs> although you, I know you still have at least a tolerance, a vague tolerance for 120. But uh, yeah, uh, there's no denying that 4x5, um, uh, the, the, the 4x5 format is just spectacular and I've seen some of your results I've been there when you've you know developed the film um, or the you know the paper or whatever and I, you know, I'm just continually blown away at how good uh, a lot of your images are uh, with the Graflex cameras um, they're they're really really fantastic cameras with those uh, with the lenses that are paired with them and they're you know old cameras that still produce really really good images and I tell you what, it has been fascinating to see the, um, be, because of your trajectory into photography and how different it is than my trajectory, trajectory in photography, um, I've gotten to see some things that I wouldn't have seen, like shooting paper negatives. That, that's just really, really fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like it. And as far as your, uh, you know, making cameras. I I agree. I think it's a uh, a wonderful way to to get to know photography in a different way, and to understand you know the nature of light, and uh, without you know pieces of glass in front of the in front of the hole or the aperture. Um, it's a uh, pretty fascinating uh, seeing some of the results, and uh, I, I dare I say they're quite evocative. Uh, pinhole photography is an evocative form of art that I think is just uh, just really, really nice and uh, different than, you know, the lensed photography that, you know, most of us, pretty much most of us enjoy. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, uh, enjoy the plugs for <laughs> the large format, the 4x5 and the, the pinhole. And uh, yeah, if, if you want to check out either of my co-hosts work, both of them are fantastic photographers. Um, for Suzanne, check out her work uh, on Instagram at b.roll.backup. And of course, from there, you can see all of her work that she's posted on Instagram and also her links, her various links uh, from, from that site. And then for Julie's, it's JP Shoebox Walk at uh, Instagram and she has, you know, put on some of her most fantastic work that she's done. And you can see some of those four by five images as well as the paper negative images, uh, sometimes not even inverted. You'll see the actual negative, what it looks like. And so, yeah, check both of my co-hosts works out, uh, you know, photography out. They're both wonderful, fantastic, good photographers in my estimation. Well, I want to thank you all for sending in every single one of those uh, call-in reviews of your favorite cheap third-party cameras, lenses, um, whatever the combination was 
for each of you. I just want to thank each and every one of you for sending those in, for taking the time to interact with this podcast. You know, this podcast, I, I started it back in, uh, I believe, January of uh, 2020, before the pandemic. Can you remember those times? <laughs> so January of 2020, and um, just the the idea that, you know, it, there are so many listeners and people calling in and all the guests that we've had, my two co-hosts, um, it's just, I love it. It's this podcast is like any, anybody's podcast. It's a, a labor of love. You know, I don't get paid for this, but I do it because I love it. I really, really do enjoy, uh, doing this podcast and talking about this thing, this, this form of art that we all share, that we all love. And so, uh, just thank you all so much for, for sending those in. And, you know, I tell you what, I've been thinking, that I'd like to do this here and there periodically. You know, I, w- I want the guests, uh, the guest episodes to be the mainstay. And of course, I'll have my solo shows as well when I want to talk about a certain subject. But interspersed here and there, I'd love to have um, episodes like this where anybody can send in their, uh, you know, their call-ins about this particular thing that I'm asking for. And so, uh, look out for that, you know, and, you know, maybe in the fall sometime, we'll do another one of these. Um, and hopefully we can get a bunch of you, uh, calling in with whatever the subject may be for, for that episode. But, um, as far as this episode and the subject matter, I want to give my, um, my favorite, uh, you know, third party cheap camera lens combination or whatever and it's actually the reason why I thought of this uh, this subject the the cheap third party lenses especially the third party lenses um, because I've seen so many third party lenses and bought have bought so many third party lenses some just in a camera lot and so the lens came with the you know with the cameras uh, others I bought them and you know specifically thinking they were something else and they ended up being a you know a third party lens and then I fell in love with the lens. So I just, over the course of my photography, my, you know, analog photography, I've really grown to love the underdogs, the, the lenses that aren't in the spotlight, the third party lenses. And I want to tell you or talk about my favorite one. And you probably know what I'm going to talk about because I've talked about it ad infinitum, maybe ad nauseum, (laughs) but that is my Vivitar 135 millimeter F 2.8. So, it, you know, again, it came with two Spotmatics. It also came with a couple of other lenses, uh, really nice lenses. The Super Tacomars, uh, Super Multicoated Tacomar, uh, 35mm f3.5 and 50mm f1.4 with the radioactive rear element. Both fantastic uh, lenses, and I still have them and I use them. But it also came, or these uh, Spotmatics also came with this Vivitar 135mm f2.8, solid metal body, Um, not a single shred of plastic or rubber or anything on it. It's solid metal, glass lenses. Uh, I believe it's the five-element lens, uh, five-element formulation. So I just fell in love with this lens, especially when paired with my Spotmatic 2. just the way it renders images, uh, it's it's really really sharp. I've gotten 
some of what I've considered to be my favorite images from this lens. And it actually spurred my desire to get more Vivitar lenses, to kind of go down the rabbit hole of Vivitar, especially of this certain uh, manufacturer that is the Comine uh, manufacturer. Because Vivitar was just kind of a, a brand name that had many manufacturers, Comine being one, Kino Precision being another, uh, Cosina being another, and a bunch of other uh, manufacturers. But this Comine Comine variety is the one that I kind of focused on because of this initial lens that I got. So I actually got a couple of more 135 mm f2.8 lenses from Comine in various conditions. And then that kind of spurred me on to think about other uh, focal lengths from the same manufacturer of this same vintage. And it turns out the 200 millimeter f3.5 lens from uh, Vivitar, manufactured by Comine, um, is a fantastic lens. Uh, you know, sorry about that. I, uh, uh, something knocked about in my house. <laughs> so anyways, it's a fantastic lens, really sharp lens. And of course, a 200 millimeter lens, you know, you have to be a fair distance away from your subject to get your minimum fo uh, focal, focal, uh, focus distance. However, um, with that caveat aside, it's just a wonderful lens to use. And these are cheap lenses. The Vivitar lenses, of course, almost all Vivitar lenses are pretty cheap unless you get into the Series 1 lenses. And even those, relatively speaking, are pretty cheap compared to, you know, the name brand lenses. So yeah, the Vivitar 135mm uh, f2.8 and the 200mm f3.5 lenses are well worth the effort and they come in various mounts i have mine in the m42 mounts i also have it in the uh uh oh the the sr mounts for my minoltas and my uh for my nikon um nickermat <laughs> my nickermat uh ft2 i have it in that mount as well with the rabbit ears um, have both those lenses in each of those mounts. Uh, I love them so much. <laughs> so, and you'll be able to tell the Comine uh, variety by the serial number. It starts with 2.8. If it starts with 2.8, then it's Comine uh, made. And also, you can tell this particular vintage of lens by having an all-metal constructed body, not a single shred of rubber, even on the, you know, the focusing rubber or the focusing grip the focusing grip is is all metal and it's made by longitudinal or it's, it has longitudinal grip lines running the length of the the lens little tiny grooves uh, versus the herringbone um, uh, herringbone uh, rubber grip of the later designs so yeah i i just love vivitar lenses so much well, now I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about a camera that I've really grown to love, and it's in the Penta Pentax uh, line, and it's the Pentax KX. Now, the K series of cameras uh, directly succeeded the Spotmatics. Uh, the K mount, uh, the Pentax K mount, is a very common mount for third-party lenses, kind of like the M42 with the Spotmatics 
was a very common mount for third-party lenses. And that's why we can use all these wonderful third-party lenses because we have these wonderful K-mount uh, cameras. Um, of course, you know, third-party lenses can be used on other, other uh, camera systems as well. But the K-mount uh, was a, a mount that Pentax came up with, and they made it um, free to use. I can't remember the, the term, but basically um, uh, open source. That's, that's the term I was looking for. An open source uh, mount for other ca uh, lens companies to adapt their lenses to. So the, the K series that started with the KM and then went to the KX and then to the K2, and of course with the uh, long-lasting, really successful K1000, uh, came out of the Spotmatic line. And they look a lot like Spotmatics, these K, uh, K um, series cameras. Uh, a lot of the same features as the Spotmatics, especially the later Spotmatics. Um, a lot of uh, similarities, especially, well, I have a Spotmatic F, and so I can definitely see uh, a, a line of descent from the Spotmatic, the later Spotmatics, into the K series. Now, the KX was meant to be not necessarily the highest end, but also not the budget or the, the bare bones end. It has some nice features, um, but the interesting thing about these K series cameras aside from the K1000 is that they weren't produced very long for you know for a very long time they were only produced for maybe two years and not many of them were made so they're not a plenty but because they're not on everybody's radar well they're also not that expensive you know they depending on the condition of course they can be costly like any other camera, but they can also be had on the cheap. Um, the reason why I selected the KX versus the uh, more featured K2, partly because the electronics, uh, I think with the K2, the it had, you know, for the time, newer electronics, but from our modern perspective, they're kind of antiquated electronics that tend to go bad, from what I understand. And I just didn't, I didn't want to chance it. So I went with the K2, simpler electronics, the battery, which by the way, it's a uh, uh, EverReady, I believe, 357. Anyways, really cheap, readily available cameras, uh, sorry, batteries. 357 batteries, also known as uh, SR44 or LR44 batteries. Um, very, very cheap and very, very uh, ubiquitous on today's market. And it takes, uh, I believe, one or two. I can't remember how many batteries it takes, but and it just runs the light meter. Um, so, what is this camera like? Well, again, it's a lot like a, it's a lot like a, a Pentax K1000 in its layout. But there are more features. Of course, there's the shutter dial, uh, the, the shutter speed dial on the top, and it goes from bulb to one one thousandth of a second. Um, there's the ISO uh, selector dial, which instead of like on the on the Spotmatics, it is connected with the shutter speed dial on the K on the KX, and I'm not sure about the other K cameras, but on the KX, the shutter speed or I'm sorry, the ISO dial is surrounding the film rewind uh, knob. So it's on the other side of the camera, basically. Um, it's got, you know, the film advance lever. And this film advance lever, 
has it it feels just like the spot Maddox. It's different because it has a plastic little covering, which is actually quite nice, but it has that same feeling as you're advancing the film. There's a feeling that Pentax cameras have that's different than say Nikon you know, Nikomat uh the Nikomat camera that I have, or the SRT cameras that I have, um, they all feel differently, and the the Pentax cameras have a unique feeling, film advance uh, feeling that I just really love, and that shutter sound is just fantastic. So, anyways, it has the you know the film advance lever. Uh, it also has the shutter release button, and surrounding the shutter release button is a shutter release lock. Um, that's what the Spotmatic F had as well. And that's nice because if you have, say, this, uh, this lock, it, it, well, if you advance the, the shutter, if, if, if you advance the shutter, cocking the shutter by doing so, but you have this lock uh, in place, then you won't accidentally um, expose the film because that, that locking mechanism is in place. And that's a really nice feature. Um, now to activate the, uh, the, the light meter, it does involve this, this, uh, locking lever and it also involves the shutter release button and it also involves the film advance lever as well. It's kind of like the, uh, knicker mats or any Nikon uh, camera from what I understand, the mechanical cameras, you have to sort of half cock the shutter until, uh, you, you definitely feel when it's in place. You half cock the shutter, uh, flip open the um, the locking lever on the shutter release button, and then half depress the the shutter release button, and then look, th you know, as you're looking through your viewfinder, and that's when your uh, light meter will turn on, and you'll see it in the viewfinder. Now, if you have a working light meter, which my camera has a perfect uh, light meter, then what you see in the in the viewfinder is just a simple match needle system, and I love that system. It's a very simple, elegant design. Um, one of the reasons why I went with this camera versus, say, uh, the the KM or the K1000 or even the uh, K2 is that it has in the viewfinder it has all the shutter uh, speeds on the right side of the of the viewfinder from bulb all the way up to one one thousandth and then on the top of the viewfinder because there's a little judas window uh, on the pentaprism it will show your um, aperture settings so you you see all your exposure settings right in the in the viewfinder and i really really like that um, that's again one of the reasons why i went with this with the KX. In addition to this, you know, the standard fair, uh, you know, settings that you have on most classic cameras, you also have a self timer on the front, as well as a uh, uh, depth of field preview, which I really enjoy because I, I, every single aperture gives you a different depth of depth of field. And it's kind of nice to have that creative control and know exactly what you're getting going to get with your, with your, uh, with this camera. So it has a depth of field preview button on the front that you just depress and then it shows you what your depth of field is going to look like. And then surrounding that depth of field preview button is um, the mirror lockup lever. And it's very simple to use. All you do is uh, rotate that mirror lockup lever, depress the uh, depth of field preview button, and then the mirror is locked up.
And that can be very handy if you're, say, taking a long exposure or a, uh, well, yeah, just a long exposure and you're, you know, using your tripod or whatever. Having a mirror lockup, it, it helps to reduce the camera shake. So it's a really nice, handy uh, thing to use. I don't use it that much. I use, definitely use the depth of field preview button, but I don't use the mirror lockup that much. But it is handy to have. And then to deactivate that mirror lockup, you just rotate the the depth of, I'm sorry, the uh, mirror lockup lever, and it retracts back to normal. Um, not much else to say about this camera. It's just a really solid camera, nice, fully mechanical camera. Uh, the battery only activates or powers the light meter. And uh, if you get one with a good light, you know, good working light meter and accurate light meter, then this is a, a wonderful camera to have. Um, I, I really love it. Um, and again, it, it's it feels like a premium camera in the sense that it has a lot of features, um, but because there weren't that many made, and because it's not really that well known, because it's you know in the shadow of the K1000, which gets more of the limelight. Well, these can be had for much less expensive of a price, and of course you got that beautiful K mount, K mount, I guess, uh, so that you can get all these wonderful lenses, both the you know, the, the Pentax lenses, as well as many other third-party lenses. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful uh, camera. Uh, I, I love Pentax. I really, really do. And I bought this <laughs> kind of when when that uh, that news came out that Pentax was in the, you know, in the game for making new cameras, new film cameras. I thought, hey, I am, you know, I love my Spotmatics, and I don't know much about the Pentax K. K, lens, uh, K cameras. So I did some research and that's what led me to this wonderful, wonderful camera. All right. Well, again, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this podcast. It was a long time coming. Um, and, uh, you know, this podcast is a labor of love, but I really do enjoy, really enjoy uh, doing it. And so thank you all for listening. And to all you wonderful people that sent in those reviews, thank you so much. And, um, you know, again, I, I hope to do this uh, again in the future with a different kind of, uh, you know, with a different uh, subject. This time it was cheap cameras, cheap lenses, third-party lenses. It might be something different. And we'll, again, we'll see that uh, perhaps in the fall. Um, and, of course, to all my wonderful guests that have been on the podcast, I love you all. Thank you all so much for, for doing this for me. Again, thank you all for listening. I thank my co-hosts for being part of this. And uh, so just thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And so to everyone listening, keep those analog vibes alive. <laughs>